I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Dr. Gandoshra, thank you so much for coming on our show again. Oh, you're welcome. I appreciate being here and spreading information to all your listeners. Thank you. So we talked about addiction last time, but we didn't talk about social media and addiction. Um, We've got some interesting work going on here uh, with an organization that um, a team of people are putting together. And so this is high on the on the brain for me and for our group. And it's also like I just did a, a talk out in Michigan at a NAMI conference, and I was approached after the talk to come and do a couple of keynotes about this. And we're starting to see it everywhere, which is which is fantastic. Um, but you know, you've been talking about this for a long time, and so have many other places. So. First, how long have you been working on this as a study? And also, why do you think it's now become so important as being paid attention to? Well, I think as uh, time has passed, we have become increasingly connected to our devices. Our phones, our laptops and tablets have now become uh, an appendage. I think uh, this Supreme Court even uh, commented that uh, when they were commenting about a famous case where the person's cell phone was searched, that that was an unreasonable search based on the fact that if, and if I misquote them, forgive me, but (laughs) that if an alien were to come down and observe human life, they would view the phone as a part of the person. Right. That it is now uh, so much ingrained in our daily activities that most people feel uneasy, unsettled when they forget their phone, uh, when they don't have their phone with them. Um, They feel like they've lost a piece of themselves. Almost the same way, but to a much greater degree, if you leave your house without your wallet, uh, you don't feel the same that day because you feel vulnerable. Uh, The same could be said for those individuals who leave their homes or forget their phone somewhere. They feel that that disconnection is a source of anxiety. It absolutely is. I mean, I I had to purposely do things like, okay, when I'm with my horse, 
the phone goes in the car. When I go take this hike, the phone stays in the car. Um, I didn't, uh, I took the bus for hours and hours through the inner city of Southern California as a kid without a phone and I survived. I can survive this hike without one. <laughs> but it's, it, yes. it can be really hard to do that, that feeling of missing out on something. Um, but boy, doing it is so such you know good for your brain good for your body good for your soul so i i'd like to speak about some emerging thoughts just about when you mentioned good for your brain um one of the things that's most important to recognize is that these are machines that do emit some aspects uh that we don't fully appreciate uh the radiation in particular uh the distance from the phone to our face is not that much, much different if you're watching TV or look, work on a laptop, there is at least some space between there. Uh, there. There are some amounts of radiation that can be emitted and I think that in the next subsequent generations, we're gonna know more about the effects of that. I think it's too early to project how harmful they may be, but you know, that sort of thing of, you know, is there ever a safe amount? Um, I think that the manufacturers and the um, the individuals that are heavily invested in the expansion of this technology would say that they're perfectly fine. Um, I'm not always so sure about that. So in terms of not always so sure about that, is this... Can you get give us more detail as to what people are saying are the harmful effects? What it is that's happening, um, you know, to our brains or to our bodies by, let's say, uh, I read some things about, you know, having your phone next to you on your bed every night. It's not a good idea. Uh, well, I'll speak first anecdotally. Um, when this technology was relatively new and people had to connect uh, their phones via these Bluetooth receivers so they could go hands-free. I found myself that certain certain particular brands of those Bluetooth receivers, I would have a headache at the end of conversation or if I was connected there. Now, that technology has advanced a bit, but uh, the idea that there was an effect, a negative effect, that diminished when I disconnected uh, that only had to happen a couple times before you make that linkage is no longer coincidental. Um, the blue light that is emitted from screens, the laptops in particular, um, can contribute to eye strain. I think that there are some markets that have captured that aspect of harm and they now sell these uh, blue light filtering glasses to decrease eye strain. Um, and I think that's much more pronounced given the given the uh, proximity of the screen uh, of a phone. Uh, now we tie all of our activities from map, mapping our directions to checking our emails to texting mm -hmm. all over um, uh, all, all over the world. I think people do this. And now uh, I think we're learning a little bit about whether whether that affects the temperament of children who've been exposed. I think my child psychiatry colleagues in particular could speak more about what effects that may have on the, on the developing brain. Um, 
the radiation itself, I think, is fairly fairly low. But I would question this part as one other uh, one other piece of the anecdotal evidence. If supposedly our cell phones could, in theory, uh, affect the instrumentation necessary for the pilot to operate the navigation system. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's it say it's doing to our own circuitry? Right. Let's move into social media. That can be used on a phone. It can be used on a computer. Um, and it's how do you differentiate between addiction to a phone and addiction to a social media platform? Okay. Um, well, first of all, let me define addiction as a compulsive behavior that leads to negative effects. Mm-hmm. People feel compelled to do certain activities so often that they become a harmful habit, which then interferes with other more important activities like either work, school, or relationships. So I think um, creating this uh, line between whether someone is accessing social networking or media on uh, on the phone versus the laptop or tablet. It's just the mechanism at which they're performing that compulsive behavior. Um, the phone gives us ready access. Still, you know, computers, um, laptops, and even tablets, you sort of have to be, you know, a little more stationary. You can't access it on the move, at red lights, you know, all sorts of uh, random places where you could just check for a moment. Uh, I don't know if you do much driving, but you probably have noticed people will stop at a red light and check their phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so could that be considered a dangerous or harmful habit at that point if it causes distraction? I think so. Um, they're much less likely to check their tablet or their laptop in, right. in that moment. So I think that the phone provides an access we were to view the social media as a harmful substance, it increases the access, just like perhaps living in a drug-infested neighborhood or living below a bar or a liquor store might increase your access. Okay. So explain where that is different than the social media piece. How is it looked at differently by you and your colleagues being addicted to utilizing social media as opposed to your phone. Sure, sure. So uh, I want to, I guess, expand on that just a moment because people don't have to be accessing social media on their phone. They have apps and games and all sorts of other activities that I think sometimes can be useful but also serve as a distraction. You know, if you have an extra five minutes to go and you play a game or you check your email, maybe you're not accessing social media. So let's get into uh, our dependence of technology and how that has that how social media has now uh, been an integral piece to that dependence. Um, Let me comment that they have seen brain changes that occur when people access their phones. Um, And in particular, this has been pronounced with social media that I think there was an article even out on Yahoo today 
that uh, the dopamine uh, receptors in the nucleus accumbens, which is our reward center, which is highly activated during addiction, also becomes activated during gaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and social media, the networking that um, sometimes we we associate with that also can lead to increases in the dopamine. Um, people who are utilizing that on a, what I would call an excessive basis, uh, where it becomes a compulsion, they tend to have more depressive symptoms when that uh, when that stimulus is withdrawn. Um, and I think you know um, you mentioned sleeping next to your phone. Uh, I think that one study found that like 71% of Americans sleep with or next to their mobile device. Mm-hmm. Um, now you can, I mean, people don't sleep with their spouses that often. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you don't take your spouse in the bathroom with you usually. Yeah. But boy, do yeah. you don't go to the bathroom without a phone. <laughs> And, and there are certain demographics that I think are even more likely to become addicted. Those who are younger and single are more addicted to social media than other groups. Um, you know, it does affect also brain development in the terms of people aren't getting the rest that they need. People will check their phones in the night when they wake up, you know, right. You wouldn't, check, you wouldn't turn on the, the news every time you, you go, you get up in the middle of the night. So the idea that, you know, they're checking their Facebook or their mail or whatever they need to do speaks to now our, our dependence. So I circle back to the idea of addiction as a compulsive behavior that leads to harm. We know the harm when it comes to distracted driving. We also know the harm when it comes to social media. When it comes to, you know, we've heard of situations where there's cyber bullying. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're not included in a certain group, then, you know, the person may feel more depressed. There's been suicides that were linked to social media. In fact, I think there was a, a case just a couple years ago where a teen had put up a question whether she should kill herself. And depending on the votes, that's what she would do. Right. I think it was almost. 64, maybe even higher percentage of the people said, go ahead. Right. So even though we feel more connected to, you know, the world with regard to social media, because we have this access through our phones, we actually have become more disconnected from our, from our environment, from our community, from our neighbors, from our family. Um, I don't know how many times you've probably gone to a restaurant and everybody's looking at their phones. Right. Uh, you know, as opposed to having a conversation and enjoying a meal. So that, if you look at it from a substance abuse standpoint, could be correlated the same way someone who is using might distract themselves or, excuse me, uh, no longer engage in the activity of, you know, a social interaction while they're choosing the drug. You know, someone leaves a party to go use. Someone avoids an obligation so they can go use. Um, the same sort of thing is happening with the phones. Yes, absolutely it is. 
something that I find interesting, and this is kind of a, uh, you know, the, a younger generation thing um, where you'll see that excessive need to, you know, put a post up and take a picture of every single thing that they're doing. And, uh, you know, they're, they're not feeling relevant unless they are creating this, uh, for, you know, fantasy world um, online and their real life world could be, you know, com- obviously completely different. And then you have some who get extremely addicted to it and have, you know, five, six, seven profiles on the same, like let's say seven Facebook profiles and 10 Twitter accounts and, you know, four Instagram accounts. And they're, you know, they're getting into this dangerous territory where this is all they do. This is all they do all day long. And you start seeing an incredible amount of aggressive behavior and inability to, you know, be part of a team um, in life because they can be God on social media, uh, but none of it is real. I mean, I I know someone, a a young person who um, runs around taking pictures of himself in front of big buildings and then talking about, you know, what a mogul he is. And I always think, and none of that is true in any way. I think the amount of time that is spent, you know, on this um, fantasy instead of on actually, you know, doing some work and, you know, sweating it out like the rest of us is extremely dangerous. Have you seen cases like that with people that are, you know, from Gen Z and younger? Yes, um, I have. Um, in part because the value is now placed on the number of likes and friends that, you know, will comment on a particular post rather than actual friends. Um, the, the one part to that that I think is worth noting is that this usually signifies an underlying mental illness, something like bipolar or major depression. Um, more likely a depressive state or even a personality disorder where the person is now seeking acceptance um, Mm -hmm. and actually receiving the acceptance uh, that they may not be receiving from their actual community. Um, You know, the social media addiction, uh, there were some researchers at, I think, uh, University of Chicago that stated that uh, when they did um, experiment reports, cravings of several hundred people, they found that the cravings were stronger of an addiction than even cigarette or alcohol. I think that's been, uh, that was, that the media cravings ranked ahead of those. There were some other studies where they looked at MRIs. Um, This was at a different university to see what happens when people talk about themselves like they do on social media. And they defined it as self-disclosure communication. And self-disclosure communication stimulates the um, nucleus accumbens the same way that sex and food do. So absolutely, it can become addictive. Uh, If they're not getting um, the amount of enjoyment that they should be getting from their lives, then they'll get it from social media. And then the other things that are supposed to bring them enjoyment uh, don't compare because they've gotten this sort of instant hit uh, of their dopamine so that their their dopamine levels go up and they're able to feel more pleasure almost instantly. You said, put the work in. Um, yeah, this just like any other shortcut. 
<laughs> getting a dopamine fix with that. You know, self-disclosure communication is a term that's defined as people post on social media. And that stimulates the same centers of the brain for pleasure uh, that sex and food do. So the things that normally would bring them enjoyment, like uh, a good meal, uh, social interactions, uh, those take time, those take work. They sometimes don't even compare to the amount of dopamine that can be released uh, from, the, from the social media exposure. Uh, that self-disclosing communication actually leads them to a shortcut, so to speak. You mentioned putting the work in. It takes more work to develop relationships. It takes it more work to, uh, to get that gratification. Much different uh, if you just post something and you get a bunch of likes and you feel good. And I think, you know, we all have that. As, as humans, we want to feel wanted. We desire to have other people, whether they're strangers or friends, comment positively about us. You know, you get a good performance review on at the job. You, you post an article and, you know, people comment positively about it. It releases dopamine and it is something that, you know, is part of human nature. We want our, our life to be recognized as happy. Uh, and more importantly, successful. Right. But if you're, if you are so addicted to this fake life and you're um, now, you know, you truly are addicted, you're addicted to the dopamine hit as well, and you know that this is what you're doing, um, if there's an underlying personality disorder there, it's, so it's like a breeding ground for making it worse. <laughs> Personality disorders are notoriously hard to treat already. And how do we do that when they're also addicted to this whole universe of praise that they can get about hollowed things that are not even real? So I will echo your sentiment that the personality dis disordered component is probably the hardest to treat. Uh, for two main reasons. One, uh, first, the person has to recognize it and have that insight and then want help uh, when that is usually the paradox of the personality disorder that it bothers everyone else, but not necessarily them. I think that the depressive disorders are and anxiety disorders uh, are the ones that will have much better mileage in, in addressing right away. Um, because if we can identify a mood disorder or an anxiety disorder, then absolutely uh, we would be able to we would be able to start other treatments for that. Right. Yeah, there isn't a drug for narcissistic personality disorder <laughs> to help <No>. treat it. <laughs> and when it becomes malignant, uh, mm -hmm. it begins to affect everyone else. Yeah, they all need treatment just to deal with that person that won't go. Yeah. Um, perhaps the best treatment for that, that we have is insight and isolation, mm. uh, you know, to protect isolation, to protect those around them. But, uh, right. but insight, because that's the main goal of the therapy is that if they gain insight, then they can actually, 
they can start working on things. Treatment acceptance is always the foundation before you begin actual treatment. Interesting. Well, it, yeah, it's, it's, it, it seems very much like, um, you know, a, a narcissist paradise is social media, uh, but it, it feeds that narcissism and makes it worse. You know, I, I thought about the idea of should there be limits on how much people can post or what they can post and should there be some, some way to regulate that on a more personal level. Like if we recognize that this can become an addiction, do people then get limited in the number of times they can post on Facebook or right. for that matter, check on Facebook? Um, you know, we don't limit how much people can drink or smoke unless there's right. some legal medical consequences. Um, but I imagine if it costs something to do it, uh, would that factor to in in some people's decisions? I don't want to make it a class issue because I think sometimes, you know, you put a nominal fee and then some people won't uh, do it. But then those who don't view that as a impediment will still continue. Uh, my answer to that may be, well, okay, that's a point that I might concede, but if we could help probably the most vulnerable of the population uh, with that, are we doing it for their own good? Um, you know, I don't want to engage in the philosophical aspects of right. it, but we have to be creative in this solution. None of us have faced this problem before. Right. Uh, you know, imagine there was a drug that people could get anytime. They, right. They ever it's sitting on your phone and you carry it with you wherever you go. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't cost them anything. Right, exactly. Monetary cost. You know, it's interesting because actually it, it does in the sense that, you know, we were working with someone who excessively posted. It was becoming more and more aggressive, more disturbing. And they were given a lot of really great opportunities. And, um, you know, everyone realized there's no way that we're going to, that we want to, nor should we uh, work with someone who is probably personality disordered um, and who is going down a road that, you know, is going to, is going to derail all of our hard work if we continue to work with them. And the, um, the, the, lesson for them which they won't see it that way but the lesson for them was the loss of all of those opportunities just boom all every opportunity that you've been given to do something you know good and for others and not all about me 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 and be part of a team all of that is now gone because of your destructive behavior and your refusal to you know cease that behavior and take responsibility for it and i mean that's a way of um you know, putting a limit, at least on what we'll tolerate the rest of society that has that, you know, has to deal with these kind of people. So I, I would agree with you. You have at least limited the impact of in this, in this word, detriment uh, to those that this person would engage in, at least within your circle or your, your job. But, uh, most of the time, as you know, they will just move on to another. Oh, absolutely. 
I'll move on to whoever will listen to them next, whoever they can try to, you know, con next. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's what people like this do, but it's, it's a, a whole other level of con artistry. And I use that loose, you know, the artistry part loosely, um, to, you know, you can, you can be someone who's very good at manipulating and conning people. Let's say, you know, your whole life is about setting up GoFundMe pages for, um, you know, your charity or whatever. And none of that money actually goes towards anything that, that actually churns out into a charity, right? You in the past had the ability to do that. Anyone can, can play those kind of games with society, but you didn't have this platform called social media where you can reach people all over the globe and get them excited about whatever it is you're doing and them to fund this activity as well because now you've got this big stage that's given to you by the internet and by social media. And that's what makes it interesting, dangerous, but also very interesting as to how that gets created, how it gets fostered, and how we as a society put a stop to that kind of, um, you know, manipulative behavior that is illegal. Often, you know, if you're constantly getting funded for things and you don't actually do anything with that money, uh, that's called fraud. <laughs> no, I, I concur. And I think as far as most individuals who, have, who are savvy with social media now, um, they're aware of that scam. Uh, and at least, you know, when it comes to sending money to anyone, most mm -hmm. folks, they, they don't recognize the organization. They're unlikely to do it at this point. They're, you may still get some individuals, but if the reward is reduced so that those individuals don't actually get a benefit, uh, that will, that behavior will become extinct too. Right, exactly. Exactly. Well, what would you, let's, let's follow this up or end this with, what would you uh, say is the, are the reasons why we as a society are finally taking this seriously? What happened that made us go, oh, we do need to take this seriously? Because even a couple of years ago, you tried to talk about social media addiction and it was taken seriously in some circles, but not the way that it is now. Now there's a course here and a class there and it's being put in, you know, training programs and corporations and so on. And as if it's something new, um, but it isn't. Well, I, I'm smiling as you're saying that because it's the very uh, dissemination through social media that probably has increased the awareness right. of this. And thereby it's a medium of, of its own, hopefully, advocacy uh, that we, uh, we can find a better way to regulate ourselves. Because I, I do want to say how important the media can be to a person at any given moment. You know, it helps them understand their own social world. They can keep up with current events. They can certainly join causes and um, groups so that they can have a an actual social presence uh, that maybe could be more, much more far-reaching than even their own neighborhood or community. Right. And then how we spoke about that individual who was posting several different um, accounts and pictures that weren't true, it does also address the need to escape from the tensions and worries in the world 
it, it gives them an opportunity to, you know, to create a fantasy. And, you know, there is something therapeutic if it's used judiciously. Right. I think in what you described, it's certainly maladaptive as the person is now more important with the valuing the, the fantasy much higher than the actual life that they're leading. Yes, and destructive to anyone that questions that life. So if someone says, hey, what you're doing is really awful, everyone can see that it isn't real, you need to get some help. And that, you know, that's met with you're trying to get someone who's not ready to stop smoking crack or stop doing heroin, you're not going to be met with someone saying, oh, you're right. <laughs> if they're not ready, it can be met with anger, lashing out, um, trying, you know, vindictiveness um, because they don't want to give up the fantasy. Yes. Uh, it, that in that way it behaves just as you mentioned it, just like any other substance use disorder or addiction. The substance use disorder or addiction wants to survive. If you were to give it a, you know, a traits like personification, it's trying to find a way to survive. Anything that brings light to the negative aspects of it are potentially going to be met with resistance if you're lucky, defensiveness much more likely, and even hostility because right. it's fighting to survive. Right, exactly. And it's being fed by a well-oiled machine called Facebook. <laughs> wow. So, you know, I, I also have a thought about Facebook because Facebook's, you know, board and founders, they've made their fortune. Actually, it's not Facebook. That's just a platform. Mm -hmm. They've made their, they've made their wealth on the backs and on the secrets and on the lives of everyone who joins. Right. Uh, uh, that's the actual product, are the people. Facebook would not be worth anything if people didn't join it. Right. Hmm, that's interesting. I'm going to spend four hours examining what you just said. Because <laughs> just like the, the ones that do get addicted, which is many, many people, and to a level of it being maladaptive, um, that person is going after things that are hollow and lack substance and are on the backs of other people's hard work just as Facebook did. So the creator is um, inspiring and creating identities or people behaviors just like its origin. Well, a uh, big surprise that at yeah. this point that going to create children in its own image. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, there are movies about this. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Well, thank you very much for, for talking about this with us today. There's a lot more to discuss for sure. Yes, and I wouldn't want to leave on such a negative note. Mm -hmm. I, I think that insight, people are aware when they are losing control. Uh, that is the time when they, once they become aware, that's when they are responsible uh, to, to do something different, to make things better. Uh, so that's the time where I would ask that they reconnect with anyone living, anyone in their lives right. and, you know, unplug, uh, get help if they need it, get therapy if they, if they can, 
there are plenty of places where they can get therapy and treatment for this. Um, you know, whether it's their local mental health center or it's a um, self-help group, there are plenty of places now to get help for this problem, which is also much different than 10 years ago. Right, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, in all fairness, um, you know, we're an advocacy organization. We absolutely use social media to get our work and the work of all of our podcasters out there. Um, you know, we have 50 podcasts all about different aspects of mental health. And we definitely use social media in order to spread that message. So it has the ability to be used for good. But boy, do you need to monitor it just like money. Of course, of course, it's just another tool. Uh, that can be used in for good or for um, destructive purposes. And I think uh, most people are self-aware when they're engaging in it, where they're headed. I think that they just have to be honest with themselves about it. Right, right, right. It's just a tool. Don't let using it or how you use it make you a tool. How's that? Yeah. Dr. Gendotra, thank you so much for coming on the show. Can you tell our listeners where they can find out more about you? Uh, sure, thank you. They can visit DelphiHealthGroup.com to learn more about me and various treatments for substance use disorder. Fantastic. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of Mental Health News Radio. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous. And they're just good people. And also mygenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, copenotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. But never without good intentions I heat up and act on my emotions Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial.